You are listening to the Choose Your Struggle podcast, a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge sports fan. I start every morning by listening to the Locked On Celtics podcast, and I never miss a Reds game. So when it's time for me to grab a gift for the sports fan in my life, I check out Fanatics. They have everything you need from the best teams, the favorite players, and all the stuff is good. As a memorabilia and autographs collector, I trust Fanatics. But here's the best part. Fanatics always has some kind of discount going on. From free shipping to 50 to 70% off some items, you're going to get a great deal every time at Fanatics. So check them out using the link in the show notes or from my podcast website and help the podcast in the process. Check them out today. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. This week's episode is with Greg Lawrence, and we're talking psychedelics. But first, here's looking at you, kid mental. Things ain't always gonna go our way, but you can always win when you choose your struggle. And some battles will be yesterday, but today is for a new weekend. Choose your struggle, and don't worry about what they say, but you can always win when you choose your struggle. And you can bounce back, just as Jay. Come on in, listen in to just struggle. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. This is episode nine of season two. We're chugging right along. And not only that, this is the latest in my series of interviews with people where you go, huh, I didn't know that that was a job. (laughs) Today's episode is with Greg Lawrence, who's a psychedelic integration coach, which is fucking cool. So clearly this is an episode that's going to challenge the way that some of you think about drug use, and that's okay. If you are still listening to this show, (laughs) it means you've been challenged before, and and that's wonderful. We all need that from time to time. And you'll hear Greg in this even say a couple things that challenge my thinking around uh, some, some of the topics we cover, namely the idea of the bad trip, which was really interesting. Uh, I've actually quoted him since in a couple of conversations with people who mentioned bad trips, and it's just fascinating the work that Greg does. For those of you who don't know, this is an arena that I have a lot of experience in. When I was really struggling, I was like living on psilocybin, on magic mushrooms. I was growing my own. This was back in the day. This was in the late 2000s, where I ordered a growing kit out of the back of high times. This is, this is dead true and grew mushrooms under my bathroom sink for about a year. Uh, some of them I sold. Most of them I kept. They were my own supply, and they were potent. They were, they were really good, and I was doing a lot of tripping at the time because, you know, I was in a situation in life that I wasn't happy, right? I was, I was struggling really badly, and when I wanted to leave my environment, I smoked weed all day, every day, because it was the only thing that made me feel better with how many pills I was on. But when I wanted to leave that behind, when I wanted to actually get out of my head for a while, taking mushrooms was the answer for me. And so they weren't all good trips, but many of them were. I'm not saying that was a, a, a good thing. It was not a mindful use of psilocybin. It was basically medicinal. And, and it was just a shitty situation, but, but being on psilocybin made me feel better. And so uh, I'm very thankful for, for that. 
I, I, quite frankly, I wish I could find uh, that grow kit again. I'm sure they got shut down because it was uh, they were sending me the ability to grow my own illegal mushrooms. So I don't know how they did this legally or or that they didn't that they got away with this, but they did. One of the things I'm very excited about is, as most of you know, because I've said this before, that my wife and I are moving to Philadelphia, which is close to Washington D.C., which is setting up a psilocybin therapy, or at least allowing that. And my hope is that it'll spread to more cities. Right now, it's only in a couple, but I'm really excited about trying that. Essentially, that's where, in a therapist setting, in a therapist's office, they give you a small dose of psilocybin, not not a microdose, but enough to to you know, have low-level tripping, and they walk you through it, and it's very therapeutic, and they help you address and face head-on a lot of the, the issues you're struggling with. I'm very excited to try it. I, as you can probably tell, am a firm believer in allowing these things to happen. Now, is there a possibility or, or, or is there a scenario where someone takes psilocybin and really, really, really bad things happen? Of course there is. Of course there is. But when done right or when educated about what's going to happen, really beautiful things can happen around psilocybin or with dropping acid or whatever the case is. Now, uh, for those wondering, uh, most of my experience is only with shrooms. I took acid six, seven times and tripped once, and it wasn't a great trip. Um, now, that was, that was a lot of setting issues, but I think that for whatever reason, acid just didn't work that well for me. And so that's why most of my experience is with psilocybin. So for those who have never done psilocybin, I wanted to kind of walk you through what that looks like. It, it's, it's a mushroom. It looks like a mushroom. It looks like a dried mushroom. You, you don't want to take it wet. And when done at the right level, which, by the way, you should always start low and go slow, as the saying, as the saying goes. When done at the right level, you have a very pleasant high that is sort of just beyond uh, or, or over a hump of the high that you get from cannabis to a point where you will, depending on how much you take, anything from sort of visual effects to, you know, audio, audio effects, th- this, this old sort of story of you're going to see the ninjas on the lawn, that, that's, not, that's not what's happening. If, if you're, as Greg talks about in this, in this episode, if you're fighting yourself in a way, yes, you can have some really negative effects. But as Greg says, if you go with it, if you embrace the trip and see where it takes you, really beautiful things happen. My first trip was my freshman year of college with a couple of buddies there, and uh, we had a really beautiful time. And, And that was a wonderful thing. Obviously, it was a great experience, but it meant that I was always trying to find that trip again. And nothing is as great as the first time with a lot of things, this included. We just had a beautiful afternoon. We really just sat around. We talked a lot. We we were very open and vulnerable. It allowed us to sort of be someone that we weren't normally in, in, in that level of being open and, and honest and vulnerable with each other, which was really wonderful. And, you know, I've had amazing trips since. One of the best was at a, a music festival where a buddy of mine and I were separated. I was seeing the, the band Modest Mouse. And then we always, he and I went to every Yonder Mountain String Band concert together. That was like our thing. And so Yonder was starting, and I had to get from one end of the music festival to the other, and we were both tripping, and <laughs> and uh, our cell phones, this was in 2008, and so cell phones were around, obviously, but we didn't have smartphones, and there was not good service. 
And oh my God, it, it felt like hours of us searching for each other. But of course, it was probably 20 minutes. And then when we found each other, it was such a beautiful moment. And we ended up enjoying this incredible concert. And so things like that, I, I associate with tripping. I, you know, 10 years later, since the last time I, I did this, I don't have memories of, of the bad trips. There were a couple, but most of them were very positive. And that's why I'm excited to do this in a, in a safe setting and to do it in a therapeutic setting, because I know the power of, of this drug. I know the power of this incredible, helpful, helpful tool that is psilocybin. I'm excited about sort of new, not new, old <laughs> ideas around things like uh, ayahuasca that are coming back or that, you know, we're starting to see is just ridiculous that we are blocking this, this plant that grows naturally, like psilocybin uh, and cannabis, you know. And these things are all bubbling beneath the surface, but they're coming out as, as we saw in Oregon, as we saw in D.C., where the, the move to decriminalize a lot of these drugs so that they can be used in safer settings. It's all happening, and it's all beautiful to see. This was sort of a rambling intro, but I know that <laughs> most of you want to hear more from me. I know that's a thing we've talked about a lot now. A couple of shout-outs before we get started with Greg. Huge shout-out to the Netherlands. I got an alert yesterday as I'm recording this that Choose Your Struggle finished the month of January, the number 41-ranked mental health podcast in the Netherlands. So thank you to all you listening in the Netherlands. Reach out. I would love to hear from you. I've never actually talked with any of you. I've had email exchanges from people all over the world, but nobody from the Netherlands. So please reach out. I would love to hear from you. And thank you personally for listening. It really means a lot. Top 50 is incredible for anywhere. And I'm very appreciative of all of you listening there. Big shout out to Germany. Uh, you're getting your own special shout out on the Monday motivation this coming Monday because the, the percentage of, of certain countries that listen to each episode is the a thing I can see. And Germans, y'all love the Monday Motivation episode. So I would love to hear from you why. Thank you for that. Thank you to everyone who keeps reaching out from those. You know, you'll get stickers, magnets, as I always say. And keep listening. I really appreciate it. This season is going incredibly well. And you're getting some just great people coming. So keep reaching out. I would love to hear from you. And enjoy this episode with Greg. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that it's not the only thing I do. Choose Your Struggle is an entire brand. I speak, I coach and consult. I have rock bottom storytellers. There's a lot going on. And sometimes I get to a project and I go, man, I just, I can't do all of this myself. So I turn to Fiverr. It's so easy to find incredible professionals who can help me out. I've hired people to help with marketing, help with SEO, help with my website, so much great stuff all on Fiverr. I even found Kid Mental, who did the incredible theme song on Fiverr. So if you have a project that you need some help on, go check out Fiverr. Use the link in the show notes or my podcast website, and you'll help the podcast in the process. Check them out today. Thanks for sharing the podcast with your friends. If you're listening on Apple, please rate and review or check out the review link in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Greg Lawrence. I am a psychedelic integration and transformational coach. So as a psychedelic integration coach, I should first say that psychedelic integration is the process of taking the lesson that you learned or the theme that you saw in your psychedelic journey and integrating that into your daily life.
And there are a lot of different methods for doing that. I can explain some of mine if we talk later. But as a psychedelic integration coach, I work with people both before and after a psychedelic experience. In the middle part, they do on their own. I don't supply substances. I don't administer them. I'm not with them. Beforehand, I will help people prepare. Sometimes we talk about their past and what kind of issues they're going through. We'll also talk about the experience itself, what they may or may not experience. We talk about expectations, how to stay grounded, navigate, what to do in case you become scared or things become unpleasant, because that's a very important part of the process. And then after the experience, we'll talk about what happened, try to find the theme or lesson, because there is always a lesson in the psychedelic experience. And then how are we going to implement that into the daily and the person's daily life? What are we going to take from that and make into a new habit, pattern, neural pathway, way of being? And I use things like cognitive behavioral therapy, neurolinguistic programming, and a lot of different personal and spiritual development theories and practices to do that. Um, I also work with people, what I call transformational coaching. Those might be people who feel stuck in their lives, who are having anxiety, depression, um, who just don't know what their next steps are, you know, what the next uh, step in their development processes. So that's basically what I do. You know, I got to say that I didn't know that this was really a thing until I started researching until I came across your bio online. And, um, you know, I was very aware of sort of the, the developments or the pro progress we're making around psychedelic therapy, but the coaching side of it is fascinating. And, and I have to know, so what made you interested in this topic? What, what got you to, to into doing this? It takes a few minutes. Is that okay? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. So um, I use psychedelics along with cannabis and alcohol and a lot of different things in my you know late teens through late 20s. Unfortunately, uh, in my late 20s, I got mixed up with hard drugs. And my life spiraled out of control very quickly. I found myself living in a kind of a ratty apartment. I had lost my job. I was out of money. And I was pretty much at the bottom of the barrel. Um, I managed to get rescued in that situation. I did manage to quit every substance cold turkey. I moved away from the people who I knew and the environment that was familiar to me to get away from it. And I stopped using everything except for cannabis, which I abused for about 20 years. About seven years ago, my life got turned upside down by personal tragedy. And when that happened, it sort of uncovered a lot of childhood trauma that I had not dealt with, that I was specifically trying not to deal with for many years. So I started seeing a psychotherapist, a coach. And um, during that process, I believe at the time I was smoking cigarettes and my coach said, you know, some people use psilocybin to quit smoking. So I hadn't used psychedelics for over 25 years. I got some. And when I did the mushrooms, I could see where a lot of my issues came from, like what was happening with me and why I was responding and reacting in certain ways. And I thought, well, you know, now that's over because I can see where that's coming from. And within a, a matter of about a few weeks, I was right back where I started again. And that happened a few more times, some epiphanies, some deep realizations, some aha moments, and not being able to do anything with it after that. So I started investigating and I found integration circles. Those are safe spaces where people go to talk about their experiences and get uh, support. I attended those and learned there was this whole thing called psychedelic integration, that sometimes you have to do something with the information that you get in this journey and you have to make some changes. Otherwise, your mind's just going to put you right back where it was. Because for better or worse, your brain thinks it would be a very bad idea for you to change. That's why it's so hard to break old habits and develop new ones. But about four years ago, I was asked, after being a regular for a while, to uh, facilitate those integration circles, to lead them. During that time, I had a lot of people approach me for sort of counseling. 
um, who saw some value in things I had to say. So I was doing some coaching with people. And then I started getting trained as an integration coach because my integration practice was very strong. I'd used it extensively myself. You know, I was a completely different person seven years ago. I was very angry and anxious and not very good in relationships. So psychedelics in the process of integration helped me transform my life. And I had the opportunity about three years ago, I became an integration coach. And for about two and a half years now, that's what I've been doing for full time after being in the corporate world for over 20 years. So I got into integration because integration saved me. So I'm on a mission to see how I can help other people achieve the same thing. Just absolutely fascinating story. Um, and, and, you know, I identify with sort of your your rich history. You said, you know, you really found yourself uh, in your, you said your late teens, early 20s. Uh, my listeners know that's my background is that I was struggling with substance misuse and that's where the, the psychedelics really came into my life was was through that period, but they were my saving grace. I, I fully believed that using a lot of psilocybin at the time was what was helping me while I was struggling with these other substances. So it, I think it's it's something that on the on the surface of it, a lot of people not a lot of people listen to the show because most of the people who listen to the show are are very progressive in the ideas around drug use and and um mental health. But outside of these circles, the idea that using drugs can be a good thing is still something that is foreign to a lot of people. You know, I had a, um, so I'm very much in favor of cognitive liberty. I think people should be able to do what they want. Adults are responsible and they can figure out uh, what they do and don't want or need to do. And that harm reduction is something that should be practiced and people should have a clear factual information about drugs because they're going to use them. But to your point, uh, on social media, I had some post up about, I forget what it was about, but it was about people being helped by drugs. And in the comment thread, one person said, you know, a few years ago, cocaine was very helpful to me. It actually saved my life. And the very next comment was someone telling him, you should stay away from that stuff, man. It might kill you. So <laughs> here is someone literally saying, this saved my life. And someone responds, that stuff can kill you. That's the attitude that people have about drugs. Yeah, and I I do yes, I mean that is a hundred percent that those sorts of stories. Everyone who works in this space has one, right? Because it's yeah. just you know the rationality of it doesn't come into play, like like you perfectly painted out. But you were very you were very clear when you talked about what you do that you work before and after the experience with psychedelics, you don't supply it. And that's, that can be a very challenging piece, right? I mean, getting a, a, getting psychedelics at all can be very challenging, but also making sure you're getting them that are safe, that are, are, you know, that also is, is a second wrinkle on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. That's part of harm reduction, uh, reduction, knowing the substance that you're getting, the strength, you know, now you have things that are adulterated with fentanyl and, you know, possibly deadly items and research chemicals that are being passed off as LSD. So yeah, people should exercise extreme caution and try to know their source as much as possible and whenever possible to test. If someone's getting LSD from an unknown source, I would ask them to look online and get a reagent kit for testing LSD and making sure that what they're getting is in fact LSD and not a research chemical that can be deadly. You know, you have to take a lot of LSD to physically be unhealthy or to have, you know, a physical reaction to it, not a psychological reaction, but physiologically, you'd have to take a ton of LSD to have it doing any harm. But there are a lot of things that are used in place of LSD, like research chemicals, 
that can be very harmful to lower levels. My listeners know, because I've talked about it a lot, that all that you can do when it comes to test strips and other things that are, that are harm reduction techniques for making sure your supply is safe. Now, I got to say, I am very uh, – I'm a novice when it comes to testing things like LSD. Talk to us a little bit about what that looks like. How, how do how do you uh, potency, potency test and, and stuff like that come into play when it, when it is something like you know uh, LSD or even psilocybin? Well, with LSD, I mean, I don't know the exact way to use the reagent kits. Um, truthfully, when I've gotten LSD, you know, this has been, you know, six six plus years for me that I've been back in working with psychedelics, and I've always had a known source, so I haven't had to worry about that. I'm aware of the testing. I've seen it done. You know, I know you take a little piece, and it turns a color, and it's going to tell you exactly what happens. With psilocybin, I'm not exactly sure how you would go about testing that. Um, I would hope that you would have... If not a known source, then, you know, it's getting now where people, if they're buying, buying underground, there are places where you can see reviews of places or suppliers where you get things. But just taking mushrooms from an unknown person um, without having any knowledge of them or whether or not they're trustworthy is a little bit um, dangerous in my mind. Yeah, I think that the known source piece is huge, you know, and I, I think a lot of us who who have this history have the, the stories of, oh, I took this thing from someone at a concert or at a music festival. And sometimes it, it's an amazing experience. And other yeah. times, you know, I have a horror story of of taking something that did not end well, you know, so uh, th- it is definitely a mixed bag. Yeah, you should. I mean, yeah, you're right. Everyone has those stories or everyone's heard those stories, but that's just not a good idea. Generally, you should know what you're taking and how much of it you're taking. So let's talk stigma for a second, because I think when a lot of people hear psychedelics, you know, they think the 60s or they think uh, they're dropout, all these horrible, you know, stigma that are surrounds these things. So how as someone who who works with these things in a positive way, do you have to help people understand that their misconceptions are, are not really what we're talking about here? You know, I work with quite a few people who have no experience with psychedelics. So someone will be thinking about doing some sort of session or working with psilocybin or another substance. So they'll look for someone like me to help coach them uh, sometimes on the basics about psychedelics. What should I do? When should I take it? Do I need a sitter? All kinds of different questions. And sometimes I do have to ease their mind about, you know, they're, they're thinking that if they take LSD, they're going to jump out a window or that they can become psychotic from taking mushrooms. And I have to explain that, you know, psychologically healthy people at, you know, reasonable levels don't go crazy because they took psychedelics. People who have a history or family history histories of uh, schizophrenia, of psychosis, bipolar disorder, any sort of hallucinatory disorders, certain psychological conditions, taking certain medications like mood stabilizers, those people are at risk when they take psychedelics and should probably not be working with them. Uh, so people who were extremely overdosed by the government, say, people who were already schizophrenic, like Sid Barrett from Pink Floyd, who was a person who's brought up often as someone who was made crazy by LSD. His family was trying to have him uh, committed before he started doing a lot of LSD. But there are certain people who should not use psychedelics. Um, those people are unsafe, but for a psychologically healthy person in a contained environment, psychedelics are not psychologically unhealthy for you. And that's one of the biggest concerns I see from people. You know, am I going to go crazy from taking this? Am I going to be addicted to this? Well, no, they have anti-addictive properties. 
you try to take LSD three days in a row and the third day, it's not going to do much for you. You know, it, dimin it diminishes and uh, your tolerance builds. And most people, I won't say most people, lots of people take psychedelics and say, wow, I'm not doing that again. And then, you know, a month or two later, they start thinking about it again. But um, they're not physiologically addictive. Anything can be psychologically addictive. They won't make you go crazy. Uh, psilocybin, if you look at a chart of drugs like uh, the most dangerous substances, psilocybin is under cannabis and aspirin, way down on the bottom. There are more 911 calls and emergency room visits for cannabis every year than there are for psilocybin. So it's an extremely safe substance to take physiologically. But there are always considerations of set setting. When should I do this? How should I do it? Who should I be around? Um, what should I do while I'm doing it? Those things are all considerations um, that will go into what will result, what will be your experience, that will help shape your experience. But yes, there are always a lot of questions about you know, the stigma around uh, mental health, uh, addiction, and so forth. Yeah, it's very common. There's a lot more information out there now that you, know, you have Michael Pollan's book and other things making this more mainstream, all the scientific and clinical studies that are being done. That's helping, but there's still a lot of people who don't understand what these substances do, how they're being used by people, and the level of danger or safety that's involved in using them. So thank you for all that. I, I think dispelling myths is such an important part of reducing stigma. Uh, and in the second part of this show, we're going to actually, I, I would love to walk through what working with you looks like and, and how that, that works. But before that, let's, you know, more generally, I think that one of the things that people fear the most is the horror stories you hear of bad trips. And you said it so perfectly, the set setting and all these kind of things that go into play. But talk for a little bit about, you know, that is a very real thing. Bad trips do happen. Everyone who who has, um, you know, used psychedelics in one way, you know, I've used multiple and bad trips just occasionally happen. What produces bad trips? What makes it more likely you're going to have a bad trip? And how can those things be avoided? Well, uh, there's a couple of parts to what you're saying. The last part is how can it be avoided? So I'll explain that psychedelics do what um, psychotherapy does. They bring the unconscious to the conscious. Right? So a lot of us have memories and feelings and things that happened in the past that we are trying not to feel or experience. We're actually expending energy holding those things down and trying not to acknowledge them. Sometimes it's trauma with a small T. Sometimes it's trauma with a capital T. Sometimes it's just the bumps and bruises and things that happen as a result of growing up human. You know, the first time an adult turns around to a small child and says something like, don't touch that, in a very stern way, the first time they experience that, it's shocking. And let's say if I am two years old and I'm in the store and I become separated from my mother, and some strange man is leading me around by the hand saying, where's your mommy? I'm absolutely terrified. Add all these things up, and there are a lot of things inside of us that we don't want to think about. Sometimes it's abuse, abandonment. Sometimes it's extremely traumatic, but there's a lot of things that we don't want to feel. Therapy brings those things up gradually. You stay in therapy long enough, there are going to be some sessions where you feel really shitty until you're done. Then you'll start feeling better. Psychedelics do the same thing. They bring those things up so that they can be felt and processed, but they do it rapidly. Therapy can take months. Psychedelics have a few hours, so... They have a very strange way of scanning us and saying, oh, this guy has all of this stuff clogging him up. I'm going to make him look at it so he feels better. That's all it is. It wants you to feel that fear. It wants you to look at that incident. It wants you to be scared like you were. There are a lot of things stuck in us. Emotions have a beginning, middle, and end. They have an arc. So a lot of times they start 
and then they get to here and we stuff them away. This is too much. I don't want to feel it. I'm going to stop it right here. And it gets stuck inside of us more and more and more. And we are not storehouses for unprocessed emotions and experiences. Pretty soon it gets really full in there. And now I don't know what's going on. I know I'm anxious. I know I'm depressed. I know I'm stuck in my life. Something doesn't feel right, but I don't know what it is. There's a lot of shit there that I need to feel in order to get better. Psychedelics bring that up. If you do not understand that everything that happens in the psychedelic experience is happening for your healing, you might become frightened of that. So in every clinical study that they're conducting right now, before the experience, therapists will sit down with you and tell you, if you become scared, if you see something frightening, if you want to run, the best thing you can do is turn around and look at that thing. It's going to be very bad for a while, but it's going to be like a short tunnel. You'll come out the other side and you'll feel better. So this is actually a way, you know, it's, this is designed to help us process trauma from our past. But a lot of people don't know this because they hear things like there's no such thing as a bad trip or they hear that, you know, when you take LSD, then you're just going to feel one with the universe. And all of a sudden I start getting scared and I think something's wrong. I'm having a bad trip. Is this bad stuff that I took? Is, something, is this not how it's supposed to work? Now I'm resisting. So in everyday life, anxiety is not good, but anxiety about anxiety is way worse. Worrying about worrying is way worse than worrying. Resisting what's coming up during a psychedelic experience can make that keep persisting and coming back at you instead of just experiencing it and going through it. It's actually sort of a, uh, it's a demonstration of what happens to us in daily life. These feelings want to come up, we hold them down, and when we do that, something's wrong. It doesn't feel good. If we would feel the feeling and let it out, it would stop bothering us. Psychedelics are just trying to help us have that stuff come up and process it so it no longer bothers us. So set and setting can affect that. People who should not be using psychedelics can affect it. A lack of preparation can affect it. But if you are prepared and you understand that frightening material during a psychological experience, or excuse me, during a psychedelic experience is just something from your past that wants to be processed, then you're prepared and you can lean into it. So it sounds like what you're saying is not that we should be scared, avoid bad trips, but we should kind of reframe what a bad trip is. Exactly. So there's a saying, a saying in the psychedelic community that says something like, there's no such bad thing as bad trips, only difficult experiences. That comes from a saying that says, even bad trips can be made into difficult experiences if they're contextualized. So in other words, it's a feature, not a bug. Yes. Let's pause real quick and shout out where people can follow you, social media, where they can find you online, all that kind of stuff. And then we'll we'll come back. All right. Uh, my website is psychedelicintegrationspecialist.com. You can always reach me at greg, psychedelicintegrationspecialist.com. On Facebook, I'm Psychedelic Integration Specialist. Same thing on YouTube and on uh, Instagram, I'm Psychedelic Integration. If you listen to the podcast, and of course you do because you're hearing this right now, you know that I always ask my guests what their preferred method of self-care is. Well, here's my answer. A good cup of coffee. This year has truly made me appreciate the little things that make my life better. And a good cup of coffee goes a long way. That's why I switched to Four Sigmatic and I haven't gone back. They use mushrooms in their beans and it gives me a kick in the morning that I didn't know I needed before and now I miss if I have anything other than Four Sigmatic. Once you give them a try, trust me, you're not gonna wanna go back. So go check out the link in my show notes or on my podcast website and use the code CHOOSEYOURSTRUGGLE, all one word, at checkout to get 10% off. Check out Four Sigmatic today. Choose your-
People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. That famous quote by the extraordinary Maya Angelou is exactly why I speak. It's why I tell my story and mix education around the topics of mental health, substance misuse and recovery, and drug use and policy with motivation, inspiration, and purpose. So when you're looking for your next keynote or breakout session speaker, reach out. Find me at my website, jshiftman.com, and I promise you, your employees, your group members, the students at your school, everybody will come away having learned something. And that's how we create change. Reach out today. Find me on social media. Check the link in the show notes or search for me, Jay Schiffman, on YouTube and LinkedIn, and choose your struggle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So you're in California, correct? Yes, Los Angeles area. And you do all of your work in California, or are there other areas that you work as well? Uh, You know, I work, well, since COVID, I'm working 100% online. So, you know, I've uh, traveled a little bit and worked from where I was. Um, My coaching when things were, quote unquote, normal, what used to be normal, uh, you know, I did some in person, I did some online, and then, you know, I do workshops and talks, and I, uh, every once in a while, go to another area like, you know, Seattle or Phoenix or something like that, and I'll work with a local psychedelic society, give a talk or schedule sessions with someone. Mostly it's from here. How is how has that been during COVID? Is it is it harder not being in person with the people you're working with? I've always done a lot of work online because I have quite a few people who work with me who are not in Los Angeles area. Um, I've I've got a couple. I've got a client in Russia. I've got a client in China. Um, so it makes timing difficult. But I'm used to working online. That's not so much of a challenge for me. And I'm actually in sort of a suburb of the Los Angeles area. I'm not right in Los Angeles, so you know, I've done a lot of sessions online, regardless. So let's take that in this in this direction then. If if people are listening and they're going, you know, this is really fascinating, what does working with Greg look like? Uh, it depends on what you're doing. So in psychedelic integration, let's say a new person comes to me and says, Hey, I'm going to be uh, you know, I'm I'm suffering from this and I'm going to be taking this substance and I have a sitter. So we might do a series of sessions where we do things like talk about how you got to where you are now, you know. What happened to you in the past and what you're suffering from now on the connection between those things. That's usually pretty clear to people, but we do that before a journey because it might till the ground and bring it up. It might also clear it out of the way so that the medicine can go a little bit deeper. We will do a session. If they have a sitter, I will work with the sitter and let them know some things that they should do and not do and basically what their role is. We will talk about the person, tell them how to stay grounded, navigate, talk about surrendering which is a very vague term we like to use, which means you might be scared, you need to stick with it. That's surrender that you'll often hear about. How to do that, how to deal with things becoming unpleasant, um, basically how to get the most out of the session. And then afterwards, we'll talk about what happened to you, what was your reaction to it. So there are a lot of things to get information from as a psychedelic integration coach. Some of it is uh, once I know a little bit about your past and you tell me what happened in the experience, I can get some inference from that. There is a symbology. There are some archetypes involved. There may be some metaphors, myths, or stories. You know, psychedelics don't speak to us plainly all the time because we all have defenses built up against words. So they'll do a lot of very strange things to communicate messages to us. And it's not always easy to figure out what those messages were. Once we do, 
then we take that lesson and I work with the person to find out what kind of change do you think this would look like in your life if you took this lesson? What can we do that's a little bit easy, a little bit at a time, and ease into this and help you create a new way of being from this lesson? That might be creating a new habit. That might be changing your thinking about something. That might be actually reconsidering a certain situation, relationship, way that you communicate with someone. And then from there, like I said, I'll use aspects of cognitive behavioral therapy, neurolinguistic programming, a lot of different personal development disciplines to help someone create a new pathway, way of being, habit, drop old habits. And you have to stick with that. It takes a while. It takes some repetition. There are different exercises and things that you can use. And mindfulness is a very big part of that. But we try to actually help the person make a change in their life based on the experience that they had. So if something like, you know, you were saying, I like the term big T trauma comes up, that this person has been repressing this for a long time. Is that a thing that you work on or is, or is that a thing where you say maybe this is something you better work you know, with your therapist on or something like that? Uh, I have no problem referring to a therapist. I'm a coach. You know, my work is sort of therapeutic in nature, but I'm not a psychotherapist. So, yeah, I have no problem. Uh, I don't operate outside my scope. If someone has serious trauma they need to work through. Um, I would definitely refer them to working with a therapist. And I often ask people if they're working with a therapist, even if they're going to be working with me. I have a lot of clients who are working with therapists and working with me because we do different things. Sometimes therapists are coming from here. What happened? I'm coming from here sometimes. What is that causing you to do? What does that look like in your life? How can we change those things? How can we change the way that this trauma or this pain from your past manifests in your daily life? That's really the work that I do mostly. I do help people try to see things from a different perspective to see that there was a time when something happened and that caused a flaw in your logic or an error in your thinking, which sort of screwed things up from then on. And if you can see what that flaw in your logic is, the error in your thinking, it can be very helpful. But there is still a trigger, a habit, a way of being, a manifestation of that pain that's happening in your life. That takes a conscious effort to change that. Yeah, I love that. I think that the the it's important to discriminate there between, you know, your focus and what a therapist is focused and and you know, if you're like me, I, I feel the exact same way as a coach. I don't I don't ever tell people I want to replace your therapist. In fact, you know, there's a there's a great working together relationship there, but I feel like there's a lot of people who who don't quite understand uh the workings of the sort of mental health and and community uh, coaching and that kind of thing, because for a long time, therapists were the only people doing this work, or at least that was the the consciousness, I would say, is that most people only recognize therapists. Well, I actually have a few therapists as clients, but that's for integration work. That's very interesting. I, I feel like that that's, yeah, I, I wish it, this was something that was more available, you know, where I live currently, which is Charleston, South Carolina, you know, these things are very difficult to find because uh it's it's uh the culture here is very law and order quote unquote and i'm obviously using those words with full knowledge um but where i'm moving soon to philadelphia it's much more open that's more of a city that that is you know these ideas can take hold you know as someone who spends a lot of time researching and learning more about drug policy myself do you see a progress i mean with that with, with what happened in oregon and dc are these things giving you hope you know it's always hard to tell because i admittedly live in kind of a bubble which i don't mind i'm in los angeles so things are quite different here than they are from many other areas of the country 
But yeah, I do think that overall, you know, as we get more press, as more clinical trials uh, become, uh, the results come out, as people start hearing about how opiate addiction can be treated with certain psychedelics, you know, there's more press coming up and there's going to be a critical mass where it's going to be hard for people to deny that these are valid tools. And things like microdosing are bringing new people in all the time. You know, there are people who would never think of using psychedelics to take a full psychedelic journey who are coming to microdosing for things like anxiety, depression, OCD, you know, a whole host of different maladies and uh, disorders. So yes, I think that more and more this is becoming a household thing. I get contacted by quite a few people who are in their 70s and even 80s who had never thought of doing this before, who weren't in on the psychedelic revolution in the 60s, who are now hearing about it and considering it. So you brought up a really important topic, and that is uh, that of microdosing, which was sort of all the rage about a year ago. And, and I don't mean um, in terms of people doing it, but in terms of people talking about it, it was everywhere. Every publication had articles about microdosing. And, you know, it, talk a little bit about, you know, how effective that can be and, and what a... I guess what a good uh, target is for microdosing in terms of not going too high to the point where, you know, you're having unintended consequences when you're in the in the boardroom. Yeah. So uh, microdosing is the practice of consuming subperceptual or subthreshold amounts of psychedelic substances. You're usually talking about psilocybin containing mushrooms or LSD when you talk about microdosing, although people microdose a lot of different substances. It's usually mushrooms or LSD. Minute quantities um, in order to do what basically a smart drug does to elevate mood, uh, help concentration, focus, creativity. But it's also being used by people who are experiencing uh, chronic anxiety, depression, OCD, uh, people with things like traumatic brain injury or uh, cluster headaches. You know, people with all kinds of conditions are coming to microdosing. How effective it is, is hard to say because there is almost no research or, you know, bona fide research, meaning double blind studies on microdosing. There are about four or five studies total, and a lot of those are just surveys. So they're not scientifically acceptable, let's say. And the ones that are, are a very small number. You know, there, there have been less than 200 people who've taken part in uh, clinical research that's double blind on microdosing. So how effective it actually is, it's provable, it's hard to say. But anecdotally, it's been extremely effective for people. If you go online on Facebook or Reddit or other places and look up microdosing, you can see stories every day from people who are using microdosing to help them get off of antidepressants if they don't like the effects of the antidepressants, who are helping them deal with depression, who are helping them deal with situations in their lives. Um, so it's been extremely effective for a lot of people. It's not a panacea. Um, it's not for everyone, and it is something you have to be careful about. As far as dosage, microdosing is generally um, about one-tenth of a psychoactive dose. I mean, one-tenth of a dose where you would actually have some psychedelic effects. So with LSD, that is ballpark around 10 micrograms. A microgram is a millionth of a gram. It's a very small amount. But a full dose of LSD, like you might get on a blotter, is usually about 100 micrograms. So around 10 micrograms is a uh, microdose of LSD. For psilocybin, that's generally around 100 to 250 milligrams, thousandth of a gram. I always recommend that people know what they have, like you say, test or have a trusted source if possible, 
and that they start on the low end of the spectrum and slowly work their way up at a time when they don't have any responsibilities like taking care of children, driving a car, operating heavy machinery, talking to clients, because until you know how it affects you, you should be very careful. And with microdosing, you really don't want to feel anything except maybe good, better, or not as bad. You don't want to feel high. You don't want to feel altered. You don't want to have visual effects. You don't want things to be kind of wavy and see colors and things like that. So you start low, you work your way up. You can get to an in-between place where you're not psychedelic, but you're not microdosing anymore. That's just kind of anxious and uncomfortable. That happens to people when they go in and they take too much initially. So I always recommend you start slow, start low, slowly work your way up till you get to where you think maybe you're starting to feel it and then back down a little bit. That should be your good spot for microdosing. But some people who have things like anxiety, microdosing just doesn't always click for them. Sometimes it makes you more anxious. But I always recommend someone with things like anxiety or depression start very low and work their way up. Very interesting. I've always been fascinated by that idea as someone who, who you know, like I said, my relationship with psychedelics is almost completely just, you know, with the goal of tripping in mind. So the idea of trying to do it low and having an, an, a, a consequence that isn't that is, is just very interesting to me. And, and, you know, these stories have sort of died away, but, but I, they are very much alive online. There are a lot of places where new people are coming to microdosing every day. Yeah. So, so I like that idea a lot. Talk a little bit about where people can find community around these, these ideas. Oh, Facebook and Reddit are two incredible places. You know, when you go to Reddit, R-E-D-D-I-T.com, there are subreddits. and You can look up things like microdosing. There's a very active community on there. Uh, when you go into Facebook, you will find numerous groups uh, having to do with microdosing and psychedelics. I will add that when you are in these places, you should take everything with a grain of salt because people become experts very quickly in these forums <laughs> and start handing out advice that sometimes... Um, it's a little bit irresponsible and sometimes it's dangerous. You know, there's, there's still this uh, sort of macho attitude of doing more, you know, more is better. So, you know, if you start talking about, you know, I took two grams of mushrooms, you'll soon be have people saying you need to take nine grams of mushrooms or, you know, go big or go home, five grams in silent darkness. Oh, I took 14 grams one time. Um, there's still this sort of um, masculine bravado around psychedelics that um, I think that we can lose pretty easily. We won't suffer. But, you know, people will tell you you should take more in microdosing or you should do this or do that. Double check everything that you hear online. But it's a good place to find community and find like-minded people who may be going through the same thing that you are. When I think of people who wrote or, or, or talked about this a lot, my ideas go back to the 60s with Ken Kesey and Timothy Leary and people like that. Who is is writing about these ideas today that you that are was worth reading? Well, Michael Pollan's book, book certainly brought this to the forefront. Um, you know how to change your mind. I knew Michael Pollan from uh, you know in defense of food, what twenty years ago. He's a fantastic writer and a great storyteller. So when his book came out, that was a huge uh, you know it was a revelation of people. There are people who'd never heard of using psychedelics therapeutically that suddenly were exposed to this because a mainstream writer who was not an advocate um, was talking about it. Certainly, if you go back to the writings of Terence McKenna, he's brilliant. Um, you know, just subscribing to different people online. Now, there are so many therapists right now. There are so many thought leaders. 
a lot of people like, like to listen to Joe Rogan because they have people like Graham Hancock and Aubrey Marcus and some other people speaking on the issue of psychedelics. I don't have a favorite writer or author. I listen to a lot of different people. I try to get different transmissions from different uh, sources. Well, we could talk about this all day, but I'm very conscious of both of our times. So we'll go into the final couple of questions. But before we do that, please, one more time, shout out where people can find you online, where they can follow you, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, website is psychedelicintegrationspecialist.com. That's also what I am on Facebook. I'm Psychedelic Integration Specialist. Same thing on YouTube and on uh, Instagram. I am Psychedelic Integration. You can always get me at greg at psychedelicintegrationspecialist.com. All right. Well, I finished with the same couple of questions each time. Number one, not only during COVID, although obviously right now this has been a very stressful time for many people, but what are your particular self-care habits? Um, it depends on what area you're talking about. Uh, are you talking about like stress, worry, things like that? You can you can answer it any way you would like. Uh, well, I have a meditation practice that's uh, very valuable to me. I try to learn something every day. I try to exercise and take care of myself. I do try to get out of the house during COVID and go somewhere unfamiliar. I think that's important. Um, and I am always, always, always trying to work on the issues that I have in my life and trying to improve a little bit in some way. Awesome. Uh, and fin the final question is, we've basically spent the last now almost 40 minutes learning why we should all follow you and all the amazing work you're doing. And, and just a minute ago, you told us about a couple of people who are writing particularly in this uh, arena that you think are worthy of, of us following. But but otherwise, you know, who are you following? Who are you reading? What are you watching that you think we should all go check out? Well, I'm always, always, always uh, following and reading Ellen Watts. Tell us more. Uh, Alan Watts, to me, just uh, has a very good way of painting a picture of what's happening in this world and what we do as a result, which is really kind of my thing. Um, what I am interested in is what happens when information comes from the impartial information comes from the outside world and hits this black box up here where we make meaning out of things and what we do on the other side of that. So stimuli and our response to that stimuli. Somewhere in there, we make a meaning out of something that it doesn't always mean. So... If I am walking down the street and I see a car driving erratically coming towards me blocks away and it veers off the road and hits a fire hydrant, there's water everywhere. I see the driver jump out. He's jumping around and kicking his car and screaming. I've never seen the guy. When I get up to him, he turns around and looks at me and says, this is your fault. And I laugh and I say, this is a crazy guy. And I walk home. Then I get home and there's a glass on the counter I left there in the morning. My wife knocks it over and says, this is your fault. Now, all of a sudden, I'm disturbed. It's the same words coming from a person, but the context of who it's coming from and what that person represents to me and what kind of history I have with a person like that and that kind of relationship changes the context immediately. So when I walk around every day, I'm not responding to the stimuli outside of me in an impartial way. I'm responding through a filter of what's happened to me in the past and what kind of relationships I've had and what does this person represent to me. So that issue is always extremely interesting to me. Joe Dispenza is another person who talks about that quite often. Fascinating. I mean, I'm personally going to have to go check out both. I've I've read a little bit of Alan Watts, but not not clearly enough. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's really been a pleasure uh, learning from you and, and speaking with you. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. 
Ever since Mountain Maid CBD founder Mike Passion came on the podcast way back in the beginning of season one, I've been lucky enough to call them a sponsor. And I say lucky because I love CBD. I preach about it to everybody. Mountain Maid is the best in the game. They've got lower than the federally compliant level of THC, so it ships nationwide. But they've got enough THC that you get the entourage effect. It's the best of both worlds. I love their boost. It's a 10 milligram chewable. It's orange sherbet and white tea leaf flavor. It's fantastic. I take a couple of them throughout the day and it's got me feeling pretty good. If you want to start the morning on a high note, they've got Build. Build is a 50 milligram quick release tablet to take it with your coffee. You get it going in the morning and you feel great throughout the day. At the end of the day, they've got Recover and Recover is a 25 milligram chewable. It's mango flavored. It's got magnolia. It'll leave you feeling pretty nice at the end of the day. My wife and I even picked up their dog chewables, which our dog loves. She's got anxiety. She's a rescue dog. And just one of Mountain Maid's chewables leaves her feeling pretty good. But here's the thing. Don't just take my word for it. I turn my wife on to Mountain Maid and she loves it. So let's hear what she has to say. Mountain Maid is the only CBD I have ever loved. The only CBD I've been willing to purchase over and over and over again. And I don't see that stopping. So go to mountainmadecbd.com, and when you check out, tell them Choose Your Struggle sent you. Subscribe to my Patreon for behind-the-scenes looks at the podcast, sneak peeks, and bonus data. You'll also get a discount on Choose Your Struggle merch. Find it at patreon.com slash chooseyourstruggle. All right, we've come to the end of another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to my guest today, Greg, who was fantastic. It's so interesting. I, I said this in the, in the way in, so I'm going to say it again now, that I love when I meet people like him who are doing incredible things that I did not know were jobs, you know, because we get this idea when we're growing up. It's like, what do you want to be? Oh, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a cop. I want to be a... I don't know, all these things, right? And they're all the same sort of stuff. And we get pigeonholed into thinking this is all there is. Now, some of those jobs are incredibly important. Uh, firemen is a very important job. And I'm not saying people shouldn't want to be firemen. What I am saying is part of the Choose Your Struggle brand is figuring out your passion. And if we're not sort of, if our ideas are not broadened, if our, if our scope of the world is not broadened, as you heard from Greg, you know, he was doing something else and saw this as an opportunity and was like, I want to do that. Same with me. You know, I, I talk a lot about how this is like my fifth career and I'm only in my mid 30s and none of them did I leave because I was failing. I left because I wasn't passionate about it. I was good at what I was doing. I liked it in a lot of the cases. And then I sort of got that that push from episode five's guest, Kristen Zavo, to be like, go do it, do your thing. And here I am over two years later, incredibly passionate about this and loving what I do. And, and fulfilled, that's the key word there, is fulfilled. Because, you know, you can love what you're doing and not be fulfilled, and now I am. So I love guests like him who show us that you can broaden your horizon and, and find something that fulfills you if you just know how to look. So, very quick story, completely different, changing gears towards the card here. My wife and I are moving to Philly, as you all know, and we're still in our place here in Charleston, South Carolina, and we've had the most ridiculous problem for the last couple of months. 
for whatever reason, at the end of the year, December sometime, every time we as much as turned on an appliance in our kitchen, the smoke alarms would go off. Now, our apartment isn't large. And so one of them going off sets off all the other ones. I don't know. They're all connected somehow. And all of a sudden, every time we're in our kitchen, if we don't open the door to our porch, turn on every ceiling fan in the apartment, turn on all of the little you know, fans we have, like handheld fans and, and floor fans, and turn on the oven fan, all of that, the alarm goes off. I made toast the other day. I didn't think I needed to do all that. I was making toast, and all the alarms went off. So we're dealing with our, our, <laughs> the apartment owners right now. Um, it's an apartment complex, so, and, and of course they're, they just don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, they're like, they keep sending maintenance out to switch out the smoke detectors. Well, you've done that twice already, literally. Literally, they've switched out the smoke detectors twice already. My wife is too nervous to cook. It's a thing she loves to do, and it's like taking that love away from her. Every time we go in the kitchen now, our dog Nell runs for the porch because she's terrified of the smoke detectors. You know, our blood pressure is boiling. We hate this. So in honor of what we're going through right now, it's such a stupid problem. It is such a stupid problem. But we are going to use the 54 Ways to Ease the Anxious Mind Pack today, brought to you by Blurt. Thank you, Blurt. So here is your card in honor of the anxiety that my wife and I and our dog are having because of our inability to cook. Breathe in slowly and deeply to the count of nine. Exhale slowly and fully to the count of nine. And repeat until the I can't catch my breath feelings have subsided. That's a great card. I love breathing exercises. So some cool news. I am releasing a class on the platform Listenable. I'll tell you more about this when it's done, when it's out, but I'm in the process of working on it right now. They approached me after hearing this podcast, and they were like, we love what you're doing. They told me that they love my, my podcast voice, which is very kind of them, and they invited me to, to do a, a class, which is incredible. My class is called Mindfulness Beyond Meditation, and every session, uh, there's going to be like nine or ten sessions or so, I'm not completely done planning it, is going to be a different mindfulness technique that doesn't include meditation because my goal is to help people learn that they can do mindfulness without meditating. And one of them is a breathing exercise because breathing exercises are very helpful. And mine is the one that I practice is a little different from this, although this is a great one too. Anything that helps you focus on your breath is a wonderful exercise. So thank you for that blurt. Great card this week. Now, this is a little bit of a cop out. I, I, I know that, <laughs> again, I know that, but your good egg this week is to reach out to me and give me some ideas for good eggs. <laughs> Here's the thing. I have a lot of them, but I'm like, I don't want to start recycling them, and I, I, I want you all to give me your ideas because a lot of these are just me, and and I love that all of you appreciate this. In fact, I get the most feedback, not the most, but I get a lot of good feedback for the good eggs, for the cards. So I want to hear from you. Please reach out with your good eggs and, and keep sharing the show and all that kind of stuff. I got someone who, who followed my instructions last week, who shared it and tagged me, which like that made my day. Thank you. Keep doing that stuff. I really appreciate that. But also reach out and say, hey, here's a good deed that you haven't talked about yet. Or this is a good deed that I like doing, you know? I would love to hear from you on that. But the most important thing, the most important thing, be vulnerable. 
show your empathy, spread your love, and choose your struggle.